19. We'll be reading through the whole chapter, but first I want to tell you a story and then ask a question to introduce this chapter. 2000 would have been 2009, early 2009. I was ordered to 20 weeks of training before I was going to be deployed to Iraq. And this was far enough away that I had to stay at the barracks during the week, but close enough that during the weekends I could go home to see my young bride, been married just over a year. So I was going back and forth. It pulled me out of seminary. It delayed me a semester as I'm going to learn a new job. And the, the weekends were precious to me because I was going to get to spend as much time as I could with my bride because I knew I'd be gone for a full year and would only see her for two weeks of leave. And so we looked forward to those times in the weekend. And there was this one time when our teacher, I can't remember his name, we'll call him Cliff, it might have been his name, was, was extremely sick. And he actually was hospitalized over the weekend. And I'm not quite sure if I remembered, uh, found out about before or when I came back. But what I do remember is that a week passed and he got better and he came back. But I realized I never went and visited him. Now, I had a friend, we called him Batman. Um, Batman would call himself a Christian. There were many ways that he didn't keep God's commands. I challenged him on that. But you know what? Batman went and visited Cliff in the hospital. Now, I can tell you why I didn't. Uh, it wasn't even a category in my mind. My free time was consumed about thinking about being with my bride because I was going overseas. But as I saw what Batman did, and I thought, hmm, the Lord convicted me, Andrew, you missed an opportunity to love your neighbor. Well, what does a holy person look like? We're going to be looking at Leviticus 19. We've been looking on the outside, 18 and 20, which are kind of the guardrails. They're the boundaries that says, don't live these ways. Don't live as the Egyptians or the Canaanites do. Or maybe today we say, don't follow the, the guidelines of the world around you. And now we come to the center of what you should do. So what does a holy person look like? There's different answers throughout the ages. In the early church, it was the martyr, the person who gave their life for Christ. And then when, when persecution lessened, it was the monk, the person who went out into the desert and the monastery. And then in the Middle Ages, maybe it was the priest who was mediating the blessings of the church. And then perhaps the Reformation, it was the pastor, the theologian, mining the truths of God's word. And then maybe we would have said in the 17th and 18th centuries, the missionaries' environment, it was those who went out and, and gave their life dedicated to serving the Lord and spreading the gospel. And we would say, these are the people. They serve God. They, they read his word. They preach and they teach. They, they live a life dedicated to prayer and meditation. And they sacrifice the comforts of the world. Now, to be holy does mean to be devoted to God. And so it would be natural to point to those people who sacrifice in an obvious way. But Leviticus, which is, uh, centers on holiness, gives you another aspect of what it means. Holiness means loving your neighbor. Holiness means loving your neighbor. You are, your love for God is only true if you love your neighbor whom he created. Now, before we read this, we're, there's some landmarks to this chapter. This chapter directly refers back to the Ten Commandments. It, it references Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You'll, you'll hear that. 
All Ten Commandments are either repeated or at least referenced. And then as you go through, I just want to give you a couple landmarks because this is a longer passage of Scripture. The first section talks about how the Lord is holy, and most of this is what we might call upward holiness, our, our, our duties to God and how we enjoy God. Verses 9 through 18 is about loving your neighbor, mostly about community, how you love those around you. And then the, the last part, you shall keep my statutes, what both commentaries are read called miscellaneous laws, which I did think was very helpful because it's the largest part of the chapter. But what I want you to see as we read these laws, some of which no longer apply to us because they've been fulfilled by Christ, is that loving God and neighbor are intertwined as if the Lord is saying holiness is not one or the other, but both. So let us spend time now as we go to God's word. It's a longer passage. A part of the discipline of coming under God's word is, is hearing it read as the ancient church would do. This is God's word, Leviticus 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourself any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day after you offer it or on the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. That the, that, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your brother, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made by two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man, and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death, because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him, with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord, for his sin that he has committed. And he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed." When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for fruit, 
then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round out the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourself. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughters by making her a prostitute. Let the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. This is God's word. Now tonight what we're going to do for the sermon is similar to what we did in the chapters of 18 and 19. We're going to have one sermon addressing that central part of loving your neighbor. And then we'll spend most likely two sermons exploring a few of these parts in specific depth. Now, the parts that we haven't covered, we've talked about earlier. If there was a passage or a verse that you have a question about, you could always talk about that offline. Um, but let's get to the central passage here. Holiness means loving your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now, what does that mean? If you ask someone on the street, should you love your neighbor? I think you would get an overwhelming approval. But again, what is love? This is very broad. Love can mean a lot of things. It can, can go from a legitimate sacrificial commitment to legitimizing the sexual revolution in the 1960s, to destroying the biblical idea of marriage in the 2000s, to permissive parenting. You may have heard the slogans today, there's no place for hate. Love wins. Just saying love your neighbor is not enough. We have to say, what does it mean to love? Fortunately, this passage gives you a good definition. These commands in chapter 19, I read quite a bit of them, are all focused on creating this whole and healthy community that lives to the glory of God. Now, there are some boundaries, there are some prohibitions. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't defraud, don't oppress. And then there's positive commands of what you're to do. You are to honor your parents, respect the elderly, value the disabled, welcome the alien, provide for the pure, the poor. Even some of the ceremonial laws, such as don't mix seeds or, or breeds, or you could say tweeds, right, the fabrics, right, these, these laws have the goal, most likely, of being a picture of preserving wholeness. Don't mix something that will weaken it or, or break it down or water it down in some way. And, and so, with all of these commands, when you come to verses 17 and 18, that ends that larger section on, on caring for your neighbor, it gives, we get the context. We don't usually quote verse 17, but it's in parallel. So let's read verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, 
lest you incur sin because of him. If there is something wrong in the community, including perhaps that you have been wrong or, or you have wronged someone else, you should seek your brother or, or sister out and, and reason with them. You might even look at this as the, the Matthew 18 of the Old Testament. So, right, and, and the reason you do this is that you don't explode um, and sin either in your words or actions if you leave something on, unchecked. An honest society where people speak the truth and courts do not favor one person over another allows for peace without resentment. And so verse 17 is, is actually allowing for true love by, by setting the context of work things out. Do not hate your neighbor then, you can say, or take vengeance. And you shouldn't have to in, in verse 18 because you've already been able to have those frank discussions and everyone's working towards the whole of the community. But instead, you should love your neighbor as yourself. This means extending mercy where you can. You're not holding a grudge. It also means that you're providing care for the people who, who are in need. So you love your neighbor. Now, now, who is your neighbor? Neighbor here from the context is, is not just your social peers, the people who can make life better for you. It's a stunning application, especially in the Old Testament. People did not think about this this way. The Lord says, it is the people that I place in your path. Right? It's not just your friends. It's not just the rich. It is also the poor, right? the, the disabled, the, the alien or the foreigner, the person who has no rights or standings. Note that he repeats again, love your neighbor as yourself after he commands that you love the immigrants, as if to say, I really mean this. These are the people who can't directly return blessing for blessing. These are the people who are going to take time and energy no matter what. Kids, it might be... Those around you who aren't easy to get along with in school, maybe they're acting up or maybe in church they they don't play your games well or, or, or they don't know how to sit well. And maybe they're angry sometimes. They're your neighbor. And this is where God's law gets very real. It's very easy to love a theoretical person out there. And maybe it's even easier in social media today right? where where you can you can not only hear about someone in the far ends of the earth, but you can you can see it. You can interact with it. And you can love that person out there, but the point is that you love the person that God has placed in your life. C.S. Lewis puts a very fine point in the screw tape letters, where the Uncle Screwtape, the elder demon, is writing to his nephew, nephew Wormwood about how to derail the faith of his patient, whom he's tempting. And he says this when it comes to loving your neighbor. He says, the great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors whom he meets every day and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to the people he does not know. The malice thus becomes wholly real and the benevolence largely imaginary. It's very easy to love the people out there. The Lord says, love the people that I've put across your path. So what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Several interpretations here. Some things see this as a justification to love yourself, right? It's the self-esteem movement. See, you, see, you can love yourself. Others say more wisely, no, no, God is acknowledging that you all, if you're healthy, have self-interest. And you should care for others as you would with the same um, urgency that you would for yourself. But I think there's even a better interpretation of this command to love your neighbor as, as yourself, it comes from recognizing that both you and your neighbor are made in the image of God 
and therefore worthy of love and care. This does remove any self-loathing. If someone says, I can't stand myself. No, no. You actually are to love yourself in the sense that you are made in the image of God. But it also draws you outward to care for the needs of others around you. And so here you see these two little verses help you define love. It is a concrete action as well as an attitude. It's all well and good to have benevolent thoughts out there, but it's useless unless you're grounded, it's grounded in care for the people in your lives. And this requirement is, is, is grounded in a far deeper truth than the reasons we're given today. We talked about last week that the one of the big questions for ethics is, is it hurting anyone? And that's not the right question. The question is, is this for the glory and honor of the Lord? Does, how, how does it honor or dishonor our Lord? Well, when it comes to your loving your neighbor, does it hurt anyone? Doesn't, doesn't even really help. But, but some people will say, is it in your best interest? Kind of the uh, how to win friends and influence people. And even, even a Jordan Peterson today, who's well thought of as an ethicist, will say, well, you know, if you are nice to other people, they'll be nice back to you. And of course, there is some wisdom in that, but that's just scratching the surface. There's, there's a deeper motivation here. The question is not, well, will people like me or play with me or, or work with me? Once again, it goes back to, does this bring honor or dishonor to my Lord? What is the motivation that's given this chapter throughout? The reason you are to love your neighbor is because you belong to the Lord. Time and time again, you hear these commands. And why? I am the Lord your God. In other words, you belong to me. God's saying to his people and to you, you are to love your neighbor because I made that person in my image. And they are worthy of honor and dignity and care regardless of what they do for you or not. You're not to play pranks on the disabled. You're not, and you are to respect the elderly. Why? It says right in the text, because you, you fear your God. And you, you, you see that your, your highest motivation for loving your neighbor is your love and reverence for God. And that's really important because when things get very hard, the question, if I'm nice to them, will they be nice to me, may not cut it anymore. Right? When, when someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, what you need is a love that helps you to grab on no matter what. And when you love your neighbor this way, you're becoming more and more like your Lord. Now, there's a beauty when we as a church carry this out, when we love our neighbors in this way. And, and perhaps you've related, can, you can, someone has done this for you, and you, how do you feel when you, when you feel that kind of mercy given to you, when they had no reason, they had nothing to gain from you, they didn't deserve it, and yet, and yet they love you. Now, a year and a half ago, this was right after my, my first round of chemo and the cancer's roaring back, and at this point the Army's denying my request that they consider this a duty-related condition, and so they're basically saying, you know, have a nice life, and, um, you know, we wish you well. And so people are saying, hey, there, there's a lady, she, she, she's not in your division, but she works for, for you know, uh, the 88th, which is in the center of America. You should, you should contact her. And so I talked to her, and now I'm not her problem. I'm not her job. She has thousands of soldiers that she oversees. And yet she spent time and energy and directed me to helpful people. I was blown away that she would go above and beyond for someone who doesn't involve her job evaluation or anything like that. Right? It's, I became her neighbor. And it was a beautiful thing. 
Holiness means loving your neighbor. And this is the heartbeat of every part of Scripture. And, and you see this continued, in fact, intensified in the New Testament. I'm going to read a, a few of the teachings of our Lord and then a one from the Apostle James. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, our, our Lord corrects someone who, who narrows the definition of neighbor. A common thought back then, he said, you have heard it said, Matthew 5, 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You cannot narrow your neighbors to just the people whom you get along with. When the rich young man comes to Jesus looking to justify himself, how can I gain eternal life? Teacher, you're good. I'm good. Matthew 19, 17, Jesus responds to him. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And the young man said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, all ten commandments. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That great summary. Matthew 22, 35-39. As, as the teachers of the law are debating with him, and one of them, a lawyer, asks Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then James, the brother of Jesus, warns against favoring the rich, something that we we read in Leviticus 19. James 2, verse 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, what is that royal law? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Once again, we see here, holiness means loving your neighbor. And while this is a very simple point, I want you to see how clearly loving your neighbor is connected to loving God and keeping God's law. Now, there has been a movement today that wants to separate love from law, as if they, they don't belong together. Um, this is similar to in some of the ways that we've been discussing in adult education, that slogan, doctrine divides, ministry unites. It sounds, sounds so good. It sounds... Sounds so welcoming, but that is not what Jesus says. Jesus says that that love and law go together. And and notice that he's not getting away from the Old Testament, the law. He's actually going back to it and quoting verbatim the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments, and saying this is what applies today. And so later in the ten, uh, in, in the in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven twelve, he says, "So whatever you wish that others would do to you." Do also to them. For this is, what's the motivation? This, this is the law and the prophets. This fulfills God's will for you. Now I hammer this home today because there are many people who are trying to play love against law. And so you'll hear it. You'll hear this by sometimes well-meaning Christians. The law, the Old Testament, is, it's jealousy. It's, it's petty. It's perfunctory. It's going, to bring, it's going to cause you just to walk through the steps in, in a kind of a deadening legalism. Whereas law, the love of the New Testament, it's open, it's affirming, it's life-giving, it's, it's welcoming. And it means you don't have to, what it really means, though, is you don't have to worry about some of those really difficult people because we've removed the definition of what love is. Some of you may have heard of a Pastor Andy Stanley. He's a, he's a well-known pastor, son of Charles Stanley. and he, he wrote a book about five years ago saying, we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. We don't need to worry about the laws of the Old Testament. We just simply need to love as Jesus loves. 
Now there's some good motivations. He wants to just he wants to remove legalism. He wants people to not just follow the letter of the law, but but to live a life of sacrifice. But you have to say, Andy, what does Jesus say the law is? The love is it's it's following God's law, and it's and it's sadly not surprising that this this pastor is starting to question. Do we really need to challenge people who are living in openly affirmed gay marriage? He says we draw circles, not lines. How does Jesus sum up love, Andy? It's it's the law and the prophets. It's keeping the Ten Commandments. And so love divorced from God's law is no love at all. When I was growing up, um, I was in the homeschooling movement, and so there was something called um, courting um, or I kiss dating goodbye, and that's got a whole bunch of baggage, and I understand there's different definitions there. But one of the things that I did get, as, as we're, we're talking about how do we, we're trying to figure out what our relationships look like. Love requires a, a commitment. And I remember this, this comic where the two girls were talking to each other, each other young teenage or mid teenage girls, and said, Well, my friend Brian just told me that, that he loves me. He would climb the highest mountain. He would swim through shark-infested seas. He would, he would battle anything just to go out with me. And I said, oh, cool, Brian. Well, would you be willing to talk to my dad? And his, her girlfriend said, so, so what do you say? He was having second thoughts. He was having second thoughts. Right? Love has no power unless it is anchored in God's law. It's given its definition by God's law, given its power by God's law. Here's how it works. If you love God, you will keep his law. And if you keep his law, you will not love your neighbor. That is the logic of scripture. And never let someone come along and sell you a fake glove. It blows away in the breeze. Now, this is a very simple commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, can we all address the elephant in the room? It's very hard to do. I think back to my story about my, my teacher, Cliff, that, that blown opportunity. And, and each one of you, if you're honest, will admit there are ways in, in which I am not loving my neighbor. I have much to grow. To use this morning's language I, it, from Mark, my eyes are only partially open to the needs of those around me. And even worse, there are, there are many sinful ways that our, our, our sinful nature will try to sabotage us. From loving our neighbor to, to, to justify us in, in our own self-centeredness, ignoring them. And I talked about I talked about the counterfeit love that, that just wants to have this 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 very uh, fuzzy love with no teeth, no law. That's 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 in the pagan world. But there's another type of counterfeit love that Scripture calls out much more. It's the legalism of the Pharisees who record their detailed love for God but ignores your neighbor. That's what Jesus calls out more and more and most of all in the New Testament. It's a love, this, this love, it would say, it's love because it's directed towards God. And of course, you can rationalize this. In fact, most of Leviticus is, is to how you are devoted to God in, in the service of his worship. This is, this is integral. It's important. But the temptation is to disconnect the Christian life and, and worship from God from the rest of your life. Right? This is what I do at church. This is my prayer time. This is my study time. Or in the ancient times, this is the desert monastery. And it doesn't match what's going on out there. In, in the Reformed world, we can focus on the reality of who we are. We call it the indicatives so much that you can ignore the imperatives or perhaps justify skipping them over in your heart. 
Now, now we, we should love, as God's people, to hear the doctrines of grace. When Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, a wealth of, of that reality. It's your birthright. You should claim it. You, you should meditate on it. But if you are truly moved by these truths and, and experience these truths, then they will push you out into the world to love your neighbor. To say you love God and yet not love your neighbor is to despise God. Some of you may have heard of George MacDonald. He's a, he was a writer in the UK, um, perhaps some of the first, one of the earliest writers of, of fantasy. Um, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien I drew from him, um, and I believe he was, was Scottish, but um, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But he was no friend of Scottish Presbyterianism. Um, probably by his time, it was quite dead and formal. But he liked to pick at that formalism in his in, in his novels. And so I believe it was the fisherman's lady. And one of the members of the community is an elder, an upstanding elder in the Scottish Kirk, their church, Presbyterian Kirk. And, and, and MacDonald delights in painting this characterization where he, he points out his piety and his involvement in the church and how at each dinner time he leads his family in worship for 60 minutes. And yet he is one of the most despicable characters in the book. He is joyless, he is merciless, he is miserable, he is self-righteous, and he is judgmental. Now this was probably not fair to the Presbyterians of the time. But may that never be us. Right? That we, we people who seek the Lord on Sunday and morning and, and evening and then throughout the week perhaps you meet him in morning worship or sometime on your own and then you, you come together and worship as a family and perhaps you even read theology or, or, or devotionals or, or, or biographies of Christians because you love it. But may, may we not do that and then ignore or kick aside a neighbor in need. Jesus has no place for that. The last quote of love your neighbor that I hadn't brought up yet is in Luke 10. They're asking again, what must I do? And he says, love my neighbor. And one, to, to justify himself, says, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. And he tells the story of, of the good Samaritan, good Samaritan. And it is not the self-righteous priest or Levite who is keeping the law, right? Got to keep myself clean. But it's the despised Samaritan who loved his neighbor. And at the end, Jesus tells his audience, go and do likewise. So how do you receive strength for this? How do you do this? Well, we see this command most clearly embodied in Jesus' life. Right? He, he's God in the flesh. As, as we're seeing in vivid detail in the morning, as we go through Mark, he's, he's living out these commands in, in, in intimate and personal detail, touching people, meeting their needs. He came and he healed the least deserving, the ones who could pay him back the least, and then eventually he goes to the cross to die for his people. But that sacrificial love, a commitment to you as one when you are helpless, not as a neighbor, but an enemy. Christ gave his life for you. You know, last week uh, I preached on child sacrifice and I, the dangers of idolatry, and as I was doing the study for that, as I was looking online and watching some videos, there were the, the atheist trolls that were saying, you know, how, how could a loving God ever sacrifice his son? That's, that's absolutely abhorrent. And that's a complex discussion, that they really weren't looking for that. It was just a talking point. I thought, well, first, certainly was different, because Jesus was a voluntary sacrifice. But second. It was necessary. And why is it necessary? Because love costs. 
Love always costs. It's always a sacrifice. In our case, it took the death of God to take us from being enemies to beloved family members. But you always have to give up something if you're going to love. It's even more so when it's a neighbor or an even enemy who has nothing to offer you. But if you understand that, and by God's grace, you put that in the practice, then, then you are living out and growing in the beauty of what Jesus has done for you. You are becoming more like your Lord. So as we finish tonight, I want to offer you a couple of encouragements. First of all, don't feel overwhelmed. Sometimes, especially a conscientious person, when you hear this, love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps especially with social media, and you see all of the ills and all of the pain in the world, you feel like you have to take it all on yourself and make it all better. And that's really putting yourself in Christ. You can't do that. Only Jesus is going to be able to restore the world. Don't try. That will just burn you out. Here's how you do fulfill this command. First of all, embrace your commitments. Who is your neighbor at this time? Who is the person whom God calls you to love? Usually this is extremely simple, and yet it's the, the bedrock foundation of Christian love and obedience. Who is it the, who's the person that God called you to love this week? Your parents, it, it could simply be your children. Um, especially post-cancer, I love my Sunday naps. Um, and, and so we were getting ready for a nap today, and I was laying down in my bed, and you're just getting comfortable, and you're just hitting that threshold where you're in and out of sleep, and I hear this, Daddy, go away. Daddy. Yeah, at that point, who is my neighbor? It's my little daughter who has a very legitimate need. And so you get up, and, 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 and you care for her. Kids, it might simply be your brothers and sisters. One of the most godly things you can do is to be loving to your brothers and sisters. Or, or treating your co-workers with kindness, whom you see every week. They're, or literally your neighbors. And ask yourself, how, how can I love them? Or maybe it's the church, as, as we give meals, as we pray, as we visit, as we encourage each other. God is not calling you to change the world by yourself. He is calling you to be faithful to the people he brings into your life. And for some of you, this may be the only application in your life right now, where you are with limited time and resources, and that may be plenty for you. So is there a person who you can ask, I've been impatient or, or, impatient or unkind, or, or someone I'm overlooking that, that's in my circle that I can bless as one who has received incredible blessing from the Lord? Be faithful, embrace your commitments. Second, we can explore opportunities nearby. You know, if, if the Lord has given you more energy or resources, and maybe you're, you're single in your college or career with energy, or your, your kids are getting older, or you're, you're retired, and we all know that you have plenty of time when you retire, right? Um, but but you, you have an opportunity. You might, you might say, well, where can I overflow in blessing neighbors around me? So, so for me and my family, as I was growing up as a boy, as, as we started to, to mature and, and our family did some music, we would go and we would, we would play our hand chimes at, at the nursing home. That's what loving their neighbor looked like for the Barshingers. What opportunities are near you? What, what are your passions? Some people advocate for the unborn. Are you skilled? Some people do disaster relief. Are there needs in our areas as, as we have increasing migrants, as we've had for, for 10 years, people from Hispanic countries that, that are, are working in the fields? Maybe there's a way God's putting in a passion in your heart that you want to bless them. Now, these are not commands that you must do these things to be burdens, but it's good 
when God's people, when they have the ability to look around and explore for ways that they can love their neighbors within their community. Then last of all, I say with rejoice with God's people at what he does through his church throughout the world. You and I cannot all go and work at every pregnancy center. But we can give as a church and individuals and have some who go. You and I cannot all go and dig water wells or, or do medical mercy ministry at a clinic in Uganda. But there's people in our denomination who have done that and do that. We can't all go to every disaster relief site, but our, our denomination can send people there. And we can rejoice when we see God's people, not in just our denomination, but overall loving our neighbors. And, and we can support them in our prayers and our finances and our people. And, and it can make our list of what we care about. We can talk about it and we can celebrate it. Because this love is a sign. It's a celebration. It's an outward expression of the love of Christ that has been given for us. So what does a holy person look like? Well, it's certainly someone who loves God and desires to live fully in his presence. But part of that holiness is loving your neighbor. And may that be true of us this week. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that our faith in Christ, it lifts us up into some of the highest contemplations of who you are in your glory. And also, we also see your glory lived out in Christ as he meets beggars' needs as he heals lame people. Would you use your church as a sign of his kingdom and of your love and what you've done through him on the cross? Would you use us as your people, both as individuals and a congregation, this week for your glory, that people could say there is something different about these. These people know love because they have experienced your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.